In this special episode, we talk about coaching, teaching, and mental health. The following contains a discussion about suicide. Discretion is advised. If you or someone you know needs support, please use 988, the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline in the United States. Previously on Teaching Like Ted Lasso. So if you got an offer to go coach in a different country, a different sport? Sport would probably be mountain biking. I do I do mountain bike here and there. I used to mountain bike a little bit more. I feel like in some ways it, the coaching wouldn't be as, as different. It's not like a team sport, so my burden would be a little bit less. <laughs> it's a little bit easier there. Yeah. And what country? Oh, geez, uh, oh. somewhere in Europe. Yeah, yeah, somewhere in Europe for sure. Where there's mountains. Yeah, where there's mountains. <laughs> yeah, the trails. One of the projects I was doing, I was working with a math teacher mm-hmm. who was also a football coach. And he wasn't really interested sometimes in Mm -hmm. what I had to say about sort of these shifts that we're talking about Mm -hmm. our classroom. And then I talked to him about, because I was a football coach as well, and I talked to him about football coaching and he lightened up. and opened up. Yep, he opened up and he talked about, and I'd talk about things, he'd talk about, yeah, we'd show videos and they get, they get better because they see what's working and what needs work and all of these things. And, and I would then subtly shift them back and say, so what would that look like in a math class? The book I think that really has spoken to me the most lately. So I'm going to go a little off script here. I'm going to go with Good Inside Mm. by Dr. Becky Kennedy. Have you heard of this book? No, I have not. The premise of the book is every child, every human being, I guess, is good inside. Mm. And when they act in ways that we don't like, we don't approve of, break the rules, misbehave, whatever word you want, words you want to use for those things, what's really happening is they're experiencing some emotion that they can't process. Welcome, I'm Dave. I'm John. And this is Teaching Like Ted Lasso. Warning, we expect that you've watched Ted Lasso. There will be spoilers ahead and scenes that don't make sense if you don't have some familiarity with the show. Our special guest for this episode is Jeff Olson. Jeff has coached a variety of high school sports. His football teams have played in the Michigan State Finals five times, winning the championship three times. In 2016, he was inducted into the Michigan High School Football Coaches Association Hall of Fame. Jeff also teaches physical education and speaks around the country about mental health. Teaching Like Ted Lasso is happy to welcome Jeff Olson. So Jeff Olson is actually a friend of mine from high school, and we're excited that he's going to be here to talk to us about connections between coaching and teaching. Jeff, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Well, obviously, I'm from the Upper Peninsula, Ishpeming. I've been teaching And coaching, I coached for 37 years, taught for 33 years, coached basketball for 30, track for 11. Coaching has been my passion. I've done that for so many years, but along with that teaching, you know, it's it's been a great career and I'm still doing it. I, I actually retired from coaching after 37 years. My last year was 2018, but I'm still teaching, you know, love kids. That's why we do this. Some of our greatest rewards have been, you know, seeing kids become doctors, dentists, superintendents, and when they come back and talk to you uh, about their successes and how maybe 
you had a little impact on their life. That's extremely rewarding. I don't know if it outweighs the state championships, but it really makes you feel good that you're doing something positive with a lot of the kids that you've taught and coached. And I know that you haven't seen Ted Lasso. We'll try to fix that before the next time we come up to Marquette so we can chat about it. But that's not a requirement of the show. But one of the things that Ted does fairly often on the show is he asks people a question so he gets to know them. And so the question that we want to ask, it actually came as a result of a conversation we had with another coach in the earlier episode on teamwork, he coached hockey. And the question was, well, if you weren't going to coach hockey and if you were going to coach in another country, so this is what Ted does. So I'm curious, like you said, you've coached all these things. If you were to coach something different in another country, what would it be and where? Something that takes up that really, you know, I think maybe every sport does, but really requires fundamentals. Through my career, we've really focused on attention to detail, you know, and how to maximize your your ability because we've we've never been the biggest, we've never been the strongest, we've never been the fastest, but you know, our fundamentals I think is what carried us through a lot of our successes. I think that's the case in any sport. So I don't know if I can pin down a sport for you. And where would you want to do that? Somewhere warm, obviously. <laughs> um, somewhere picturesque scenery. You know, we're talking about, you know, retiring very soon. So we're, we want to travel, but we want to we want to travel to places that have a lot of a lot of scenery. So I don't know if I can pick one spot, but um, I'm going to look for a place that maybe has good weather with a lot of great scenery. You brought some of this up already, Jeff. So as you're thinking about coaching and teaching, what do you see as being similar and what do you see as being different? I've always really tried to not overcomplicate things. So when I look at teaching, when I look at coaching, number one, to be successful, you have to tell them why you're doing it. You know, why are we, why are we teaching this? Why are, why do you need to know this formula or why do you need to know this? And it's the same thing with coaching. Why, why are we doing this in the offseason? Why are we doing this drill? What are you going to get out of it? Why is fundamentals so important to our success? Why is discipline so important to our success? And we really hammered the why. It's the same in teaching. You know, I teach physical education. So why are we doing this drill? Why, why do we have to do physical fitness? Why do we have to play this? type of activity you know there's got to be fundamentals involved but there's there's also things that are involved in physical education that helps you become more physically fit more healthy the kids have to know why because then they're more invested in what you're doing they're more willing to work as hard as they can in the off season they're more willing to work as hard as they can in practice they're more willing to work as hard as they can with each drill in practice. And, and then when you combine what inspired me to coach Dave as one of our coaches that was at Marquette High School, Mike Molesky, when he came in in one of our first meetings, he said, my job is to prepare you to be a success in life. And we're going to be committed. We're going to learn discipline. And then he said, that's going to amount to wins in sports too in in for our season. But 
he kept hammering, this is going to prepare you for life. When you show somebody that you care about them as an individual, you know, I care about how you're, I care about you right now. I care about your life right now, but I want you to be the best that you can be in your life outside of sports. So if you can tell kids or whoever you're teaching or coaching why you're doing it, but then provide that I care about you and, and build that relationship with you that this is going to help you later on in life. We're going to demand commitment. That's going to help you now, but then whatever job you try to pursue later on, you're going to know how to maximize your ability in that job or how to get that job and then to be the best that you can at that job, which will lead to advancement, promotions, could be the same thing in commitment to your family, to your spouse. I mean, you learn how to commit to that and it's not going to be just about you. It's going to be what's best for your marriage for your family and if you can get your kids to understand that you care about them and what we're doing now is for your best interest not only now but your success in life then they buy in you know you can get them to work hard that's motivation you know the biggest things is how do we motivate kids in education these days we start discuss that stuff in our staff meetings all the time you know we i can't get this kid to do anything i can't get this child to to even open a book well how do we motivate them and i really think the biggest motivator in life is care if you can show people that you care about them and tell them why this is going to help them not only now, but later on in their life, then they start to believe in you and they start to do what you're asking of them. Then you then you have them. Then you can um, teach them almost anything because if they believe in you because they've realized that you care, then they're going to put as much effort as they can. Yeah, that's great stuff, Jeff. And it really reminds me. So one of the, the coaches on the show. The following comes from a scene in season one, episode three. For me, success is not about the wins and losses. It's about helping these young fellas be the best versions of themselves on and off the field. And it ain't always easy, Trent, but neither is growing up without someone believing in you. You also talked about that in your Hall of Fame acceptance speech that you had all of these people who were like, this isn't glitzy what Olsen's going to do. This isn't going to work. But but you really leaned into the people, both the people, the players, and the personnel that were around you. And another big theme of Ted Lasso is this idea of believe. Motivation is what you said. But there's a sign even, the mm-hmm. believe sign. And, and it's about them believing in one another more than anything else. And he makes that point. And it also, we talked about in our motivation episode that there are these three things that all kids need that all people need in order to feel engaged to feel motivated and you talked about them right purpose they need to know that why Mm. they need potential they need to feel like they're going to be successful at whatever it is they're doing and then they need to feel protected they need to feel as though that the people who are around them are going to support them we're trying to do the right thing, but we, we're going to make mistakes. And what do we do when we mm-hmm. make mistakes and how do we make them right and how do we move forward? And so when you're talking about those those teachers, you know, in those staff meetings and, and 
I heard the same thing as a middle school teacher. I hear the same thing as a as university professor. You know, so-and-so isn't engaged. My question is, well, have you provided them purpose? Do they feel like they're going to be successful? And have you given them a safe place to, you know, to do the work, to do the practice? Because that's what practice is about, right? Is, yeah. is working out those mistakes so they're less likely to happen in, a, in, in the during the game. You know, they say, you know, it doesn't matter if you win or lose as long as you're getting better as a person. But guess what? If you're doing that, if you're getting better as a person, if you're getting something out of this, that's going to lead to more wins too. So, you know, we talk about that being the number one, but guess what? It's going to lead to more wins too. So so much of this also fits just into Wooden's pyramid of success, right? It's like a lot of the things that he's suggesting in that pyramid are unrelated to wins, but the guy's a legend for a reason. That's right. that's why it, you know, it got to that point. Right. So when I always talk about tell them the why, build a relationship so they know that they care about you. You know, then I talk about, you know, what Mike Molesky taught us, commit and be disciplined. Then I'm going to add one other thing, you know, because you know, athletics, you, it builds leadership, teamwork, I mean, all that stuff. But I've always, you know, I always talked about commitment discipline, but throughout my whole career and life, I always add one more thing to my team, and that's resiliency. You're going to have to be resilient on the athletic field. You're going to have to be resilient in life because nobody goes through life undefeated either. So, you know, we talk about battling through adversity. There's going to be a lot of adversity, whether it's in practice or games, things aren't going to go your way. And we learn how to battle that adversity through, and you know, we, we practice hard. When we practice, we practice hard. And I tell our guys, we're going to make you uncomfortable in practice at times, but you're going to be uncomfortable in life too. So that adversity that we have on the, on the athletic field, is going to help you better handle adversity when it's your life. And you know, as well as I do, and we might touch on it later, uh, you know, that adversity that I had, my wife had, our family had, losing our son, Daniel, battled anxiety and depression for many years, and then ultimately taking his life when he was 19. That's adversity. And I'll be honest with you, and I don't say this for any other reason other than it happened this way. Two days after Daniel passed away, I thought of our football coach that motivated me to be a coach. And I thought of him. I said, number one, this is honest. I, I can't let him down. I can't quit. And I got to come up with a strategy because that's what he was all about. So through my biggest adversity in life, I thought of my coach in high school that inspired me to be a great athlete, but not only that, to be a great coach. So you learn that resiliency in athletics and you can learn that resiliency in the classroom too. What happens when you fail a test or what happens when you didn't get your homework done? There's going to be consequences. So there's consequences in life. You learn that through education. You learn that through sports, I believe. And that could help you, should help you when, you know, things aren't going your way 
in your life after all the education and after all the the sports that you've played. So, and it's helped me. That resiliency part, Jeff, really connects with me too in terms of what you were saying before about the the people, right? And, And in creating an environment because resiliency isn't simply about what's in here, but it's also from what you were saying, what's around, right? You had mm-hmm. you had meant a mentor in your life, someone who who gave you some strategies, or at least knew, you knew that you needed a plan, and someone you looked up to, and someone who you didn't want to let down. And I think that that's right. an important piece. The Sports Illustrated article that was written about the journey that you've been talking about talked about how the team came together, came to your house, came around you supported you the way your family supported you so it it was something it because i think that teachers and coaches who talk about who talk re- resiliency talk the talk but don't necessarily do the walk where they haven't done the work to create the relationships that allow that to happen does that seem right. fair or am i overstating it no that's you know that's good and i'll and i'll i'll make, I'll make this comment we played in five state championship games. We were a heavy underdog in all five. We played the number one team in the state in four of them. Because they were better than us, they outgained us in total yardage in four of them. We were behind at halftime in four of them, and we won three. I always say that's that's resiliency. That's you know not quitting. That's always being disciplined. Hey, yeah, we're behind. We're getting punched in the mouth, but what do we do next play? And what do we do next play? And what do we do in the second half? So that's kind of what we're all about. And our teams at Ishpermine, we can't give up. And then two days after my son passed away, I said, I can't give up. I can't give up on my coach. The players don't give up on each other. You know, sometimes it's easy to give up on yourself, but it's hard to give up on the guy next to you when you know that they've put in the work that you have and they've gone through the uncomfortable, tough, tough times and maybe in practice. You know, I just feel that's a tribute to our Ishpermine community, our Ishpermine school and our Ishpermine athletics. But I also think it's due to you, too, in terms of because I've heard you speak, you know, I've known you quite a, quite a while. And the fact that you are someone who supports one another, who would do something for, for anybody else. Because a lot of coaches, you know, do what you talk about. A lot of teachers do what you talk about in the classroom to create a place where kids feel adversity. They do not walk out of those experiences, though, with the kind of resiliency and belief in themselves that clearly your students did, your, your, your players did. A lot of that has to be because of who you are as a person and what you brought. Like I said, like you said, you didn't do anything flashy. You weren't, you know, I think you could have done stuff flashy if you wanted to, <laughs> because I think it's not about any of that. I think it's about the way that you you help those young men to be the best people they can be. They believe in you just the same way that you uh, believed in Mike Molesky. And I think that that 
that that's an important part of this. And we want teachers to understand that too. Too often teachers are said not to, you know, build those kind of relationships. And we've got to always have to be careful about the way that we interact with because of the power dynamic. However, yeah. I think that we need to be present. I think we have to be able to to be sometimes sometimes we have to be the coach. Sometimes we have to be the cheerleader, right? For them, because there were times where your your players were ready to give up, you didn't, you know, let them give up. You didn't call them names because they were going right. to give up. You supported them. And again, too often, I don't think that we have teachers and coaches who know how to adjust in that know what's needed to be responsive to the to the students in the way that I know you were. Yeah, and I think you hit it on the head. You have to be able to adjust, I believe. You know, you have to build those relationships, but you have to be able to adjust. And because every every child's different, every athlete's different, you have to coach and you have to teach so you can maximize the ability out of every player, every student. And that's hard for people. Yeah. You know, it's, it's hard for teachers. It's hard for coaches because – some of them are so black and white. You know, I think coaching in the in the 70s, back when we were in middle school and high school, it was more my way or the highway. It was more we're going to we're going to motivate you by just yelling at you and maybe bringing you down. So then you're going to work harder. And it's really not that way anymore. I mean, you can't you can't get the most out of people doing that anymore. Like we said, we go back to the why. Tell them the why. You know, show some care, build some relationships with these kids and understand that every kid is different. You have to adjust. Like you said, then I think you're putting kids in a situation where they can thrive more. And one of the things that I learned, it was my first year teaching and I was teaching elementary physical education. And I always remember this and, I, and I've had so many student teachers under me and I always tell them this. We had a we had a first grader that was just acting up all the time, disrespectful, getting in trouble, almost abusive sometimes, poor language. And I was complaining about this first grader and a second grade teacher said, Jeff, you have to understand this. All kids are good. You don't know what that kid child goes to home to every day. But if you can put in your mind that all kids are good, we just have to find a way to get that good out of them. And a lot of that's by building a relationship, caring about them. That's part of the successful being being a successful teacher, being a successful coach. So that one comment, you know, all kids are good. You have to find the good in them. And I I found that out when you take that rough child or that tough kid or that troublemaker and you build a relationship with them, you get a lot more out of them, and it's a lot more satisfying for you as a teacher or a coach. One of our guests talked about there's a, a book called Good Inside, and it's about just that, that all students are good inside. And as educators, we need to accept that and build on that. So you brought up Daniel, you brought up the adversity that that created, the resilience. You've been very open about that. You want to say a little bit about, I mean, was that part of your strategy? Was that as you were thinking about Molesky and the plan, was that part of the plan? Was that just something that happened? Well, I've been traveling around and doing a presentation to schools. I've been to hospitals. I've been to universities. How this kind of came about was two days after Daniel passed away. We were sitting in a funeral home, my wife and I. And 
we had to write an obituary. So it's like, you never think of writing an obituary for your child. And so we had a decision to make. Are we going to be truthful in the obituary? Because some don't. And when we decided we're, we're just going to put this out in the open, we're going to tell the truth and try to help people so they don't have to go through what my son Daniel went through or families, loved ones don't have to go through what my wife and I and our family had to go through. And once we put that in there and told the truth in the obituary, it felt good. So we decided right then and there that, okay, we're going to, we're not going to shy away from this. We're going to talk about this. I mean, I brought it up at our first staff meeting, which was five weeks after Daniel passed away to start the school year. I was willing to talk to anybody, whether, you know, I got interviewed a lot through coaching or whatever. We just put it out there and talked about it. It felt good, but also we wanted to help people because one of the things when Daniel, you know, Daniel had struggled for eight years. Anybody fought for five years on his own in silence, what happens to a lot of people. But the last three years, he was accepting help, but not really doing everything he was supposed to. And the reason I say that is because throughout his struggles, eight years struggles, he didn't understand what he was going through. My wife and I didn't really understand what he was going through. And there's a reason for that, because there's that huge stigma that if I say mental illness or if you say someone has mental illness, Right away, people will think, well, that person's crazy or, yeah, they can't handle everyday life. You know, they're just weak or maybe, yeah, they're just creating some drama or they're faking something. And it's not that way. I always say this. Let's call it what it is. It's an illness of the brain. There's actual physically physical things that are happening in your brain, whether it's deficiencies that doesn't allow you to feel the connections are off where happy thoughts aren't getting to where they need to be. Negative, sad thoughts are not getting to where they need to be. So they just sit in your brain and they they go round and round and you can't get rid of them. If I say, Dave, I got to cut this presentation, you know, this Zoom meeting short because I have body aches, I have the chills, I have no energy. You're going to understand that. You're going to realize, oh, yeah, he probably has the flu. You're going to have compassion for me if I have to leave. But if I told you this, Dave, I, I have to cut this short. I don't feel like myself anymore. Or I don't feel like myself today. And you're going to wonder, well, what does that mean? Well, I'm supposed to be this very outgoing, personal person that loves to joke around, make people laugh. And I'm not that person anymore. I don't, I haven't felt that way in one month or two months. Or I'm sad all the time. I, I, I can't laugh anymore. I can't get rid of these negative thoughts. I have this doom and gloom attitude that bad things are going to happen to me, my, my family. You know, a lot of people will say, well, just snap out of it. Well, you can't snap out of a medical illness if there's actual physical things that are happening in your brain. You know, it's like your heart. If if the connections are off and the blood's not getting to your heart, your heart's not going to work right. And it's the same thing with an illness of the brain. So one of the things that Daniel told his girlfriend when he was struggling, he says, no matter what I do, no matter what I say, nobody's ever going to be able to understand what I'm going through. So I always say this, I'm Daniel's voice to get everybody to understand what he couldn't and that this is very common medical illness that's very treatable because I know when he was struggling, we were able to talk to him about it. You know, he felt ashamed of who he was. He told his girlfriend he thought he was letting us as parents down. Well, if you're struggling with cancer, anything else, you shouldn't feel ashamed. 
you know, you shouldn't feel alone because a lot of people go through medical illnesses and it's the same with this medical illness. So that's kind of how this came about. You know, it felt good to talk about it. It felt, and people say, when I go and present, they'll say, I can't believe how strong you are. And it's, (laughs) it has nothing to do with that. I feel, I feel almost weak that I have to do this because this is my therapy. This is what helps me feel good because number one, we're talking about Daniel. We have a documentary where his picture's up there, his face is up there. They're saying his name and we're helping people. It helps me realize that maybe he didn't die in vain. Maybe this had to happen to help people. So that's kind of why we're doing what we're doing. And in particular, as you're talking, Jeff, I know that someone might say, well, what did he have to be depressed about, right? I mean, he was a star quarterback, a handsome guy. I mean, good student. And, and that is also part of the, you know, what you're, what, what you're raising is that awareness is that this happens to everybody, right? right. And, and I know that you're talking a lot to, to athletes and coaches and things like that, but that, that these are folks who almost have a harder time because they have some sort of vision of what they're supposed to be like or and and like you said i'm gonna i'm gonna be a disappointment if i let you know who i really am you know when daniel was through some of his darker moments when my wife and i would talk to him we would tell him all the great things he has going for him you know very personal tons of friends girlfriends good at everything he did very accomplished athlete but every time we would say that his answer would be the same. Well, if everything's so great, why do I feel this way? Right. And it's the same way with any other medical illness. It doesn't matter how popular you are, how good looking you are, how much money you have. Medical illnesses will take you, knock, knock you back. But the problem here is people don't recognize mental illness as an illness of the brain, a physical illness of the brain. And that's why we're trying to educate people that this is a, a medical illness. And it affects how what your thoughts are. You know, it's affect you know your thought process and a lot of things. What we're doing is really trying to create that understanding through Daniel's names, through Daniel's struggles, that this is a common illness. It's a medical illness. There's actual symptoms, but when people, a lot of people are struggling, they don't have the words to say. You know, you, I've gone to done presentations, and I'll see a child, somebody off on the side when I'm done with his head in their hands, kind of being very emotional, I'll say, how are you doing? And they'll say, I don't know. Well, how are you feeling? I don't feel anything. And they can't, they can't put into words what they're going through. So we're trying to give people the words. Um, You know, I don't feel like myself anymore. I used to be this type of person, sad all the time. I can't laugh anymore. That's what Daniel would say to us. I can't laugh anymore. You know, you guys are cracking a joke. I know it's supposed to be funny or other, my friends are, I can't laugh anymore. I can't, feel that emotion anymore or I can't get these negative thoughts out of my head. I say that all the time. I can't get these negative thoughts out of my head. You know, and others have this doom and gloom attitude. They feel worthless. So again, we're trying to create that understanding that this is a medical illness and you need to have compassion for a medical illness of the brain, which affects your thought processes affects how you feel or it doesn't even allow you to feel. And that's really scary to a lot of people that are going through this. 
you've been doing this presentation. People have been coming up and talking about um, how strong you are. But what are they gaining out of it? What's the feedback that you're getting from from those folks? We have a doitfordaniel.com page. And if you go to that and read some of the testimonials, I've had kids say, somebody finally put a name to what I'm going through. Finally, somebody understands what I'm going through. A lot of thank yous. Thank you for putting this out in the open. I've had people come to me. Can you come to my school and tell my friends what I'm going through? You've just described everything that I'm going through. So now I'm going to get help. What the, the, the cool part is when kids come up to you and talk to you after and say, you just gave me the courage to go and ask for help. I was in a, here's another, here's just another stigma word, the psychiatric ward, the psych ward, you know, really should be called what it is. It's a brain unit. You know, it's just where somebody, people have something medically wrong with their brain. They go try different medications, different counseling techniques. I went there to visit somebody once who had made an attempt on their life. And somebody I didn't know, a middle-aged person, tapped me on the shoulder and said, I just want you to know you're the reason I had the courage to come in here. So it's things like that that make this all worthwhile. You gave them the confidence to come forward and ask for help. You put into words, so now they understand what they're going through is common. It's real. And then the biggest one, you saved my life or you saved my child's life because now they're getting the help that they need. So those are the big ones. The hard ones for me, and that's almost everywhere I go, I'll have somebody come up and say, Coach, I need help, but my parents don't understand. They don't think this is real. They won't let me get help. Or a parent will come up and say, my child or my loved one has been struggling. They're having these suicidal thoughts, but they refuse to get help. Those are the hard ones to hear. You know, and you wish it was with black and white. You feel this way, go get help, but it's not that way. That's the stigma that we're fighting right now. That's trying to, you know, the understanding that we're trying to give to people that. And I always say this, you know how many times I was in the emergency room growing up, you know, with a swollen ankle, a bent back thumb, getting x-rays just to see if it was broken. You know, I never broke a bone, but I we went there a lot just to see if it was just to make sure, and that's the way this illness was should be. And I always say, Daniel wrote a paper when he was a senior in high school that he felt things were off in sixth grade. My wife and I noticed some things were off in sixth grade. We didn't know, you know, what's what's hormones, what's being a teenager. So we always say this. What if this was so out in the open that when, they, like, everybody knew the symptoms like the common flu. We have compassion. Day home from school, whatever. We know he has the flu. But what if this was so out in the open that when he was in sixth grade, he would have came to us and said, I can't laugh anymore, or I can't get these negative thoughts out of my head. Maybe I should get checked for anxiety and depression. Or the flip side, what if my wife and I would have said, you know, we notice some things are off. Let's just be on the safe side and go get him checked for anxiety and depression. You know, maybe he would still be here today. Really appreciate all that you're doing to raise that awareness. It's it's interesting kind of coming full circle with the whole idea as you're as you're describing i mean the role of a teacher right is to help people understand right help them to build right. understanding and the right. fact that even in this the teacher in you is coming through and recognizing that it's helping people to understand it's helping people to feel as though they're not alone right other people have gone mm -hmm. through this and are going through this and that there is help 
and that that help doesn't have to be attached to negative stereotypes, stigmas, whatever the case may be. So we really appreciate that work that you're doing. We appreciate the time that you've spent here telling our audience about teaching and coaching and introducing us to, to Daniel. We will certainly put in our show notes links to Do It For Daniel and some of the other resources that we brought up. If you or someone you know needs support, please use 988, the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline in the United States. I want to end with one question that might not be so serious. So what's going on with Michigan? So what's your perspective about this whole thing? And don't let the fact that I'm wearing a Michigan hat influence you. Well, Dave apologizes for attempting to draw Jeff into this controversy. Dave forgot the number one rule of this podcast, as he deems it. We don't talk about Harbaugh. So who is it who keeps talking about Harbaugh?